Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Guys and a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. Today's film was another request by a loyal listener, Nick. Uh, Nick, thank you for 1986's Trick or Treat. Uh, the most ineptly titled movie. Well, maybe not the most ineptly titled movie, but it's pretty darn close. <laughs> this movie has so little to do with Halloween. In fact, uh, Halloween's like in there, but it's almost shoehorned in. Yeah. <laughs> it has nothing to do with Halloween, this movie. Or tricking nope. or treating. Really. <laughs> uh, any, any variation thereof. <laughs> what this movie is, is a heavy metal horror film, which is actually a fascinating... Uh, subgenre to me, even though I haven't seen too many of them, they always hold such promise because heavy metal and horror <laughs> they just they go so well together, and I love both of them so much. And then also, in order to see a heavy metal horror movie, you basically have to jump back to the '80s, which is again yeah, another I've... era that I absolutely love. So the idea of diving into this 1986 heavy metal horror film was pretty exciting for me. I have to say, it started out pretty good too, but uh, was a little boring. Uh, maybe I was just a little let down by the end. I don't know how. How did you feel about it, Craig? Oh yeah, that's funny. I, I really felt the same way. Like it, it was, it was pretty good, and it, it had some promise and then i felt like it kind of just fell apart in the third act like yeah. the third act was really just kind of goofy and stupid <laughs> um i don't know it, overall yeah i mean here we are jumping to our overall conclusions right here at the beginning but you know it's it, it wasn't bad i i i remember seeing this movie when i was a kid you did uh, yeah i saw it i remember seeing it on the the video shelves and maybe part of the reason i liked it was because the the main kid and this this guy uh, Mark Price who plays Eddie in the movie was <laughs> on Family Ties. Oh yeah, Skippy. <laughs> <laughs> he was yeah he was he was Skippy from Family Ties and and, and I love that. Oh gosh, I loved that show. You know that was one of the shows that my family watched. Like oh, we yeah. would sit down and watch that show together. And and I remember that guy. And and in that movie or in that show, excuse me, he was you know kind of this nerdy nice guy. Uh, and, and that that carries over a little bit into this movie. But I think that may have been why I was initially interested in it. And, and you know I, I knew going in that I had seen it before, but I didn't remember anything about it. I think that another 15 years from now, I'll feel the same way. <laughs> you know, I, I saw it. I don't remember anything about it, but uh, you know, that's fine. I don't know. You know, it's, it's an interesting movie. You know, we've done trick or treat as opposed to this one, trick or treat, trick or treat the anthology film. I was going to say, heaven's sakes, people don't confuse the two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Trick or treat is uh, one of my favorite Halloween anthology movies. And and this one doesn't live up to that standard, uh, in my opinion. But I didn't think it was bad. It was a no. good effort, and it was an interest. It's an interesting concept. Just you're right. I think in in the third act, it kind of falls apart. Yeah, and it starts off with great promise. And actually, I was really into it for the first I don't know, probably half an hour, if not more. Again, you got some heavy metal music playing in the background. It's got this very '80s feel. The camera sweeping through a kid's bedroom, which could be any kid's bedroom uh, at this time. 
and uh, he's clearly into heavy metal, and he's got like Anthrax posters and Iron Maiden albums, and you know, it's we're in the record era. Twisted here. Sister, right? Yeah, it, it, it's cool, and and I mean, I, I actually kind of related to that a little bit, and and it pans down to this guy who's um, there's a little bit of voiceover as he is writing, and you realize that he is penning a little bit of a fan letter to one of his idols. And his idol is this big uh, heavy metal singer named Sammy Kerr. It's me again. Ragman. Well, the song remains the same. Total conflict. Them against us. I can't believe they canceled your Halloween concert. It's like you say. Rock's chosen warriors will rule the apocalypse. Airheads and brain deads are everywhere. Who needs them? And actually, this confused me because the copy that Craig and I saw, or at least the copy that I saw, the title of the movie was listed as Ragman. Was it on your version? I don't know if it was listed as Ragman, but it Ragman popped up like like yeah. a title. Yeah, like, the title card. <laughs> I noticed that too. So yeah. Yeah. I, the movie must have originally been called Ragman. I actually didn't see evidence of that anywhere else, but Ragman came up as the title card. So I really feel like Trick or Treat was tacked on at the end to try to sell it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because like we said, sure. it, it has oh, yeah. very little to do with Halloween. It's not a Halloween movie. But, you know, this kid is so totally relatable from the very beginning because – He's a bit of an outcast, as you can tell. Maybe one of those kids, especially at this time period, um, who was teased a lot at school. Well, we get a whole litany of of these instances where he's teased. It's almost like a montage of every 80s joke you can pull on somebody. Oh, snapping his towel in the locker room, you know, getting the books knocked out of his hand and things like that. But he's writing to this musician, and and he's actually – He's kind of in this mindset where he's writing to him and he's saying, nobody understands me like you do. Like, not in a creepy way, but just in a way that people this age tend to identify and idolize famous figures. Yeah, sure. And And so, I don't know, I could just, I could just kind of instantly, I really got a beat on this character, and I didn't think he was so cardboard cutout. I just thought that the fact that it's focusing on his um, interest in the music uh, and his obsession with music as a teenager was just very realistic uh, and i really liked that about this movie and the movie for you know for all of its faults it really does keep that theme going and i like that you know so he's writing to his musician and it turns out that this musician actually was an alumnus of this high school that he went to so even though he didn't know him apparently this guy's a little older he's got kind of a personal a reason for a personal connection with him and and that was kind of an interesting right. an interesting thing too yeah i, I- I did. I liked that about it, you know, because we, I I don't know, I guess I can't speak for everybody, but I feel like it's kind of a universal thing where when you're young, you know, adolescent, high school, early college, um, you really identify, you know, with artists who are expressing things that, that you want to express. And for him, it's like, rebelling against the man rebelling against the mainstream and he really uh tags on to that and and i get that too it was certainly not heavy metal for me you know for me it was more like 
Tori Amos, you know, Indigo Girls kind of stuff. But, um, I, 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 I get that, you know, that, that feeling of uh, kinship uh, with, with artists, especially at that young age. And, and you talked about he does get bullied. And there is a montage. I mean, it's, it's literally a montage of him getting bullied by these jocks. And it's funny because today these people – would probably be prosecuted. Oh yeah, you know, like, <laughs> like, like, like the the world was, and it's so weird because we lived through it. You know, yeah. we were there when this stuff was really happening, um, and and fortunately, you know, I I never suffered it, but you yeah. know, I saw it. You know, this this kid, you know, it's it's just kind of typical bullying. You know, like he's kind of the heavy metal fan, and he's getting bullied by these jocks or whatever. But there's one scene where he's getting bullied. Um, in the locker room and he's in a towel and, and they push him out into the gymnasium where girls are, are playing volleyball and, and they push him out in there and he's totally nude and girls are taking pictures of him and stuff. And I'm <laughs> like, Oh my gosh, this is, this is so eighties. Yeah. Like, see, like seriously today, like that would be <laughs> like yeah. a crime. Like, <laughs> like people would get in big trouble for this, but you youngins who listen to our podcast, uh, we lived that folks, you know, yeah. like it was a, it was a different world. Um, and, <laughs> we, and that, that type of bullying, you know, was just kind of like, Oh, boys will be boys. Yeah. We were expected to shake it off and walk back home through the snow, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, and, and not that that's a good thing or no. it, I, I, you know, I'm not saying, Oh, you, you know, we were way tougher back in those days. No, you know, that was scarring and damaging back then too. <laughs> we just didn't pay as much attention, I guess, but yeah, it, it makes him a, a really relatable character. And, and so from the beginning, you're on his side, you know, even though I didn't really relate to him with his whole music fascination with this particular genre or whatever, he's still a relatable character because you feel for him. He's, he's just this nice, normal kid who's trying to make his way through high school and adolescence. And he's got a crush on a girl, you know, there's Leslie, uh, this girl that he's got a crush on and he wants to impress her and she's there when he's humiliated. But later on she approaches him and she gives him the Polaroid that was taken of him when he was nude. And it's not like today where it's the internet and it's there forever. You know, like she's like, here's your humiliation. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) We can give it back to you. (laughs) Right. Right. Uh, but yeah, I, I like that too. And you know, I wasn't this kid by any stretch. I, I think probably all of us feel like we were bullied at some point, unless we were the bullies. You know, almost everybody, whether you really were bullied a lot or whether you were bullied a little, either like you said, you saw some of this happening around you or it happened to you once or twice. I was definitely, um, you know, I was, I was bullied a little more in middle school than I was in high school considerably. But the thing that I kind of related to was in, I think it was fourth or fifth grade, uh, a kid who was this kid, all right, who was this kid fully in like fourth or fifth grade, turned to me just one day, and he was always pretty nice to me. He turned to me one day, and he hands me this tape, but he slipped it kind of like under the desk as he was handing it to me, kind of looking left and right in the middle class, like he was, you know, giving me something like drugs or something. And and he hands me this tape, and <laughs> And he says, here, I really think you'll like this. And I looked at it, and it was Alice Cooper, right? And it was uh, Alice Cooper's mm-hmm. album, 
raise your fist and yell. Of course, he, you know, it was a tape, and it wasn't the legit tape. It was a tape he copied, so it had, you know, sure. scrawled on it, Alice Cooper. And I took it home, and I listened to it, and I listened to it secretly in my bedroom because I was pretty sure. I mean, my parents never really came out and expressed an opinion one way or the other, but I just knew because I knew Alice Cooper. We all knew of him at this time. Right. That, uh, this would not be something that they would want me listening to, and I just so I, I I listened to that thing every night for quite a while after it gave it to me, and I really dug it, and it started a lifelong fanship of mine actually for Alice Cooper. Uh, and the funny thing is, is like I have no idea why this kid thought I would like this. Like I, I would have given no indication. I barely knew him, but uh, I don't know. He kind of gave me a gift that day, and it just shows what you were saying about how we do like music can be really powerful especially to us at this age and somehow it can touch us and it it really can be an escape it just serves so many different functions and for this kid this guy he looks up to him this music is all his life and so when he's watching television and there's a news report about this guy on TV. He's watching it casually while he's eating cornflakes or something in the morning. And you're seeing he's essentially like an Alice Cooper character. This is the bad boy rocker. Yeah. He's got a snake around his neck, which he did. And then he like bites the head off the snake as like dumping the blood all over him, which never ever happened in any rock concert, but people like to think it did, and there were always stories going around about <laughs> it. You know, it, it really <laughs> took me back. And uh, and then at the end, this woman uh, mentions that locally he was the center of a raging controversy just last week when the town council denied him permission to appear at Lake Ridge High's Halloween party festival next Saturday. A graduate of Lake Ridge High, it was Kerr's wish to return to his alma mater, a move that was extremely popular with the students. The town council, however, blocked the attempt, citing obscenity and violence in Kerr's music. Again, rock star Sammy Kerr, victim of a hotel fire, dead at age 38. And this kid just... Wow, he's like completely devastated. I mean, he's so devastated. He goes to his room yeah. and he starts tearing it up. And again, man, this is just I mean, it's so honest. <laughs> you know, yeah. I really felt oh, sorry gosh. for him. You are absolutely and I remember that about adolescence and and you know, your teen years where you're so connected to these people that you almost feel like they're a part of your life. As an adult, I remember hearing about Michael Jackson oh, dying yes. on the radio. Yeah. And I, I remember hearing about um, when Prince died and, you know, there are tons of others, you know, it, even as an adult, it has an impact on you. You feel like these, you know, they're part of your lives. You don't know them. I saw Prince. Haha. <laughs> like, I'll just go ahead and brag. I, wow. I, I, I did see Prince in concert, I but I, I never saw uh, Michael Jackson or, or any of these people. And But you lose them and it impacts you. And mourning is not necessarily the right word, but this is the person that he felt a personal connection to. Uh, the one person he felt a, a personal connection to. You know, he's writing him letters. And it, it seems like he's been writing him letters for a long time and signing off Ragman. Like, it seems like, I'm sure it's, you know, entirely one-sided but he felt like this guy was kindred it, yeah it, it really messes him up and when he sees that that tv uh news report and I, i've got to say like when they're doing the news report and they have this woman on the news show um who's like this conservative lady uh talking about why he couldn't be there and why they blocked him and whatnot and her name was mrs sylvia cavell 
Um, but I, I, I saw her and I recognized her. I'm like, who is that? And I looked her up on IMDb. Her name's Alice Nunn. And she was Large Marge. Like, (laughs) I couldn't believe that I didn't recognize her immediately. Like, how do you miss Large Marge from (laughs) uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure? I was, it excited me. Sorry, fanboy a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there are other people in this. I mean, there's uh, Gene Simmons is in this briefly. Um, Yeah. He plays the radio DJ who, and you know, honestly, like I knew Gene Simmons was in this. I honestly had to look up which one he played because without his makeup, Gene Simmons is nothing to me. Right. (laughs) But, but he was right. And I, I forgot. Yeah. And I forgot that at one point Gene Simmons was a good looking guy. Like (laughs) I think of it now as being kind of this bloated loud mouth. (laughs) That's true. He looks a lot better in this. Yeah. In this movie, he plays nuke the radio DJ who I guess is a friend of Eddie's the, the main kid. And, and they kind of share this little morning moment together, but nuke reveals that somehow he's gotten his hands on this um, studio print of Sammy Kerr's last album that has that what hasn't been released yet or wasn't released before his death. Um, and he gives it to Eddie and, and that's kind of the impetus for what goes on moving forward. He said, I'm going to play this on Halloween night at midnight on the station, uh, but I already made a tape of it. So you can take the record. I know right. what she means to you. The girl gives him that Polaroid back. And invites him to a pool party. <laughs> <Right. laughs> yeah, which I, even in the moment, you know, like it's not a big deal, but I thought it was kind of funny. Like the the DJ gives him this uh, record and he's like, oh, you know, this is his unreleased album. And, and then Eddie goes home and doesn't listen to it right away. Yeah. Like that bothered me so much. <laughs> like, make any oh, sense. I'll listen to it later. Well, you know, gonna, like here's my hero. I have this. Occasion. <laughs> <laughs> Said no teenager ever about. Oh anything. god, I thought that was so funny. No, yeah. If if it had been me and I had gotten you know like this recording that nobody else had ever heard before, the I would have been at home listening to that thing yeah. uh, immediately. But no, he puts it away for a little while and goes to a pool party instead <laughs> <laughs> and he's he's odd man out at this pool party i guess it's being held at the high school pool or something after hours or so i don't know some indoor pool and uh he gets bullied again somebody throws a weight on his back and throws him into the pool and then that same girl um what her name is leslie, leslie. Uh, rescues him and pulls him out and he's just pissed because he feels like leslie just lured him there to be bullied even though she rescued him what let's all Daddy, because that's real fun, huh? Bunch of f***ing assholes! I'm sorry. I'm going to nail every one of those bastards. I don't know how, I don't know when, but I'm going to nail them. This relationship between the two of them, it doesn't really develop all that. It's not a prominent aspect of the movie. It just kind of, they become partners sort of by the end of it as they're thrown into the moment. And I kind of liked that about this movie too. You know, it was a little different from a lot of the other um, 80s movies that we review where it's like girl looks at boy across the room um, and instantly there's a connection between them. Uh, Or, you know, the opposite. Uh, Guy likes nerdy guy likes this uh, hot, attractive girl, but she's with the cool guy and she's basically unreachable. Um, and then either she can maintain, continues to be unreachable and it turns out she's not worth it anyway because the more homely looking girl that ends up looking beautiful once she takes her glasses off uh, is the one he ends up right. with. Uh, or um, she 
does something, you know, like lures the guy into some shady thing, and like Teen Wolf, you know, and, and it's basically kind of a jerk to him. So uh, it was kind of neat in this case that she didn't really get any of that. She seems to have a genuine interest in him, but it's not really overblown in any particular direction. Uh, which again, I I don't know. I just by this point I was really into this movie and I was really kind of going with it, uh, and I didn't feel as cliche as uh, I tend to feel about these kind of movies sometimes. So. Yeah, uh, I I felt the the same way about the relationship between the guy and the girl in a different movie, and if it hadn't been played the way that it was played. I would have felt like it was a little stupid because you didn't really get any reason for why this popular girl was interested in this, you know, fringe guy. But it's like the movie doesn't even really make any kind of big deal about it. So you just go with it. And like the way that she interacts with him, it just feels kind of natural. And he is, you know, he's an average looking guy, but not a bad looking guy. And, And you could see why a girl would be interested in him so while in a different movie it could have seemed very forced it didn't here and i i thought that was good yeah it was really good so this is when he goes back and plays his record uh which is was it like songs in the key of death or something like that (laughs) i don't remember and as he's playing it he's kind of um slipping into you know kind of his state and imagining things and he starts hearing those voices that uh you realize pretty quickly are the sounds of you know voices being played backwards uh, as i guess maybe we do need to explain this because our audience could be kind of young this was another huge controversy at the time was that groups would deliberately put backward messages into their records yeah, subliminal messaging yeah the idea would be that you could understand that you're you know even though you couldn't understand it consciously that your brain could somehow hear these these backward messages pick them out and decode them and, and it, they would have an effect on your subconscious brain and uh, there was at least one group i think it was judas priest was actually taken to court over the the allegation that a backward message on one of their albums caused somebody to kill somebody or commit suicide or something and i mean that's all total bs right now but these messages were put on albums they did exist and for us at the time especially as kids there was a certain mystique to them and, and so again inserting that mystique this is the first time i the first time i've really ever seen a horror movie play with this notion too well but in in real life <laughs> when when we were young you know we heard about these things and i don't know i had a record player when i was young but i guess i wasn't listening to heavy metal so i did, wasn't into that but like you could spin you, you know with your finger you could spin the record backwards and and hear these backward messages but even in our day it wasn't so like completely obvious like no. it was it was actually subliminal like in this movie, it's like you can obviously this is a backwards recording. Like that's what it sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it sounds like there's a whole section. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> right. <laughs> like obviously you're supposed to play this backwards, um, which he does. And that was kind of what was funny to me. Like, you know, he's having problems with these bullies or whatever. And so he plays the the record backwards and I couldn't even tell exactly what it said. Maybe no. you can help me out, but I feel like it said something like let the big fish help himself or let the big fish hang himself or something like that. Mm. Let the big fish hook himself. You're the bait. The bait is you. 
he gets from that very short message that he's supposed to somehow allow these bullies to kind of do themselves in. And that's what he does. There's a big montage where he's in the cafeteria, the main kid, and he flips the main bullies tray up onto his shirt or whatever and and the main bully his name is tim haney and he's played by doug savant who i would never have recognized at all but he's still a working actor i i knew him he was uh, one of the main characters on desperate housewives but i would have never recognized him because he's so young in this um and there's this whole montage it's and it's hilarious like <laughs> a hilarious montage where they're running through the high school the the bullies chasing this kid and um they run through the music room and through the library and like it, it's really funny um but then the bully somehow uh, the main guy eddie tricks them into thinking that he ran into the teacher's lounge and they grab a uh, fire extinguisher and shoot the fire extinguisher into the teacher's lounge think he he's in there but really it's all the teachers in there uh, and and it's funny, you know, on IMDb, uh, the movie is categorized as thriller, horror, comedy. Um, yeah. and, and there are moments like this where it is kind of funny and there are jokes throughout. If it was really attempting to be a horror comedy, I think it fell a little flat because yeah. it really wasn't all <laughs> <No>. that funny. <laughs> like I could I could see the attempts where it was where it was trying to be funny and it was. It was amusing, um, but really not necessarily all that funny. But what I did find funny was that once he starts playing this record backwards it gives him that initial message first but then he keeps playing it backwards and it keeps giving him new messages and not only does it give him new messages but he's able to talk to it like directly like it it, it's basically like he's working a ouija board yeah exactly really exactly and i thought that was so cool like i've never seen that concept before really creepy i thought actually you know because yeah. I, mean, I mean, you got this mystical record, but you can control it. But what's it capable of? You know, it's sending you messages. What's going on here? Again, very much like a Ouija board. And again, I could only I could only make out a little bits of what it was saying, which again I thought was a good choice. I'm telling you, I'm so into the movie at this point. And it sends him to the machine shop. I think it just tells him to go to the machine shop, basically at the school. Yeah, yeah. And when he goes there, sure enough, like the bullies are there. They have kind of a battle, <laughs> kind of a fight. Um, and it looks like Tim has him cornered, and something happens electrically. I don't know if, if Tim slipped or something like that, or if it was supposed to be something mysterious and mystical. But he falls down onto one of the machines. Uh, his his tie gets caught uh, in one of the spinning, yeah. I guess it's like a lathe or something, and yanks his head down onto this machine. At the same time, another the end of the lathe starts coming towards him, the, the part with the spike on it um, that kind of spears or holds the item in place. And it's coming right towards his eye. And, and everyone's just watching this happen, including Eddie, and you're kind of wondering if Eddie's just going to let this happen and we're about to see the f- the first kill of the movie. Um, but then Eddie, right. totally in character, reaches up uh, next to the – at the power switch and completely cuts the power off just in time, which is enough to scare these bullies and they run out. So he's won his, his kind of his first victory over these folks at this point. And you know what I liked about this whole Ouija board album thing? And I guess maybe I'm just – reading this this film like literature but <laughs> again you know he's forming a companionship with this album which is something that in a way we do 
You know, an album becomes kind of a friend that we turn to sometimes when we're feeling a certain right. way or we want to get a certain mood. And in kind of a very literal <laughs> way, this guy is, you know, forming a companionship with this album. Is this too much? <laughs> no, it's just it's just taking me back to my <laughs> Oh God! I hope my mom's not listening. But like, it, it takes me back to my college days when you would put on a particular album when yeah. you're ready for sexy time. <laughs> That's right. Well, you don't still do that. <laughs> I don't want. Yeah, one. no. Like, yeah. Let, let's let's just let's move on. Well, uh, you brought it up, man, not me. Um, but, yeah, I did like that, and I liked the whole. I liked the whole concept of him spinning it back rolling the record player the wrong way and 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 communicating in that way it got a little cheesy for me then when he started recording the album on to cassette and then he could just listen to the cassette and the cassette could talk to him like i I understand why they did that because they needed it to be portable (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, like they, they, they needed him to be able to communicate with this ghost rocker wherever he might be or, or needed um, the the ghost rocker to be able to do stuff in other places. But the idea of him, oh, well, I'll just record it on cassette and then he can talk to me wherever I go. Like yeah. a little cheesy. <laughs> yeah. it, well, it loses the whole mystique of the record being played backwards because we know right. a tape just doesn't right. work that way. He makes a copy of the cassette and he gives it to the bully and and it's like a peace offering. Like he tapes it to the bully's locker and it's like, oh, here's a peace offering. Listen to my cassette or whatever. And, and the bully just <laughs> takes the cassette. That really leads to what I think is probably my favorite scene from the movie just because it is so 80s and so <laughs> cheesy. You see the bully, Tim whatever his name is, in the car with a girl who we've seen before who's also been mean to our protagonist. And, uh, like, they're making out and getting hot and heavy or whatever, and and then the bully's like, oh, I gotta pee, or whatever. So he gets out and, and goes, <laughs> he's, like, peeing outside the car. Um, but the girl is bored in the car, so she puts on headphones with this little you know tape deck and she starts listening to that tape and it's (laughs) oh my gosh it's so funny like this ghostly mist comes out of the earphones Mm. these old earphones that we used to wear in the 80s and and like starts like molesting her <laughs> and it's like this animated green smoke that like it, it's kind of in the form of hands and like you can see the hands like like caressing her boobies and, like, <laughs> and then she starts she starts to take off she takes off she doesn't start to she takes off her shirt and like boobs finally in this 80s movie here we get some boobs and uh, then like you see the ghostly mist like going down into her panties and she's like taking off her romper <laughs> but it's like she's hypnotized and she doesn't even know what's going on oh my god and it was so funny like she's totally getting off like she is like getting off hardcore and uh she opens her eyes and there's like this giant weird demon (laughs) and it's so funny because what was hilarious to me was like the mist had been like messing around in her downstairs area and then 
she opens her eyes and it's this giant demon and it has this Enormous. giant tongue. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's so funny. Yeah. And then, you know, that's it. You see, you see like one second of this giant demon and then she screams and Tim the bully runs back and the the car is all filled with smoke and she I, I thought she was dead but mm. it, it, it turns out she's not dead but like her her ears are all melted off where the headphones were and stuff and oh god it just it just talking about it now it's so much more fun to talk about it than it was to watch it because uh, because then because then we get Ozzy Osbourne Ozzy Osbourne <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the movie keeps putting in these like um it's like they have to constantly remind you of the of the danger of heavy metal music and the controversies that were existing at the right. day like hey, this is what the movie's about, remember? So we're constantly seeing these TV clips at convenient times and there's a clip playing on TV and it's in somebody's house or something and I don't know. Uh and it's this woman speaking with Ozzy Osbourne and Ozzy Osbourne is playing a preacher in this. <laughs> Those rockers really have a strange sense of humor, don't they? I don't even think it's a sense of humor. I think they're just out-and-out sick people. I mean, and they're trying to make everyone else around them who who listened to their music as sick as they are. It's kind of funny to see Ozzy Osbourne, who is much more lucid (laughs) in in this show. I mean, he was way more lucid back then than he is now. I think there were times in which the promotion for this movie really played up Gene Simmons and Ozzy Osbourne having roles in it but really oh, they just have these tiny little cameos you know if you don't know who they are you wouldn't know they were there it would just fly by but um he he's playing this preacher and he's talking about the dangers of heavy metal music and he recites these lyrics <laughs> let me give you a, a, an example i okay. have one of the lyrics that you will uh, right. tell me what you honestly think go right ahead gonna drive my long steel missile down on your love channel deep deep you'll beg for more Raising hell and serpent score. Feel me, feel me. Now, what does that mean to you? To me, it means nothing but a sexual act. You and I and anybody our age knows that there was a time when heavy metal music in particular really was under scrutiny. And and they were saying that it caused people to do terrible things. And and, um, I think it was, I, I can't think of his name, but the lead singer of Twisted Sister. Do you remember his name? D. Snyder. Yeah, D. Snyder like had to testify, I think, to like Congress. Congress. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And 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 it was really funny to watch when we were growing up because here's D. Snyder, Twisted Sister, who was, you know, this crazy rocker, but he got in front of Congress and he was so eloquent in mm. in defending art and and music and like I just remember as a kid thinking that was so cool. You know, here's this guy who wears makeup and has you know this perm hairstyle and he's wearing these hot pants and whatever in his videos, and then he gets in front of Congress and he's totally eloquent in defending art and like that just made heavy metal and 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 music in general just so much cooler to me you know like these these aren't ignorant people these aren't stupid people they're 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 artists and they're oh, yeah. they're doing what they do um so you know th- i appreciated that about this movie too 
Yeah, you know, it's that's uh, Marilyn Manson, same thing, you know, right after when he kind of got blamed a little bit for the Columbine shootings, you know, much later. Same deal. He probably had the the smartest things to say about about everybody's reaction and about the causes for that, you know, that anybody did. And, and you know, but <laughs> you, you kind of learn as you get older that the musicians uh, were actually the dorks in high school. I mean, they were not, yeah. they were the non-jocks. They were the guys who probably felt like outcasts, um, who had nothing better to do with their time, weren't getting girls, so they were at home with their guitars practicing 24-7. Right. And that's how they got good. And then they turn into these, you know, larger-than-life idols. But they usually have backgrounds of complete dorkiness, and, and they sure. were the intellectuals, perhaps, who were, had a lot of time for introspection because they were not getting the girls <laughs> back in those days. Yeah, and and they even have a scene in here uh, of this musician on on a, again on the t- TV screen, um, Sammy Kerr testifying in front of Congress, right? Or again, he's also saying, you know, what the movie probably wants to say, not much, but just, well, this is free speech, and, <laughs> you know, right? It, blah blah. Like, it's not like this. It's not like this movie is pushing some big message <laughs> or anything, but no, right. But those of us who lived through it, you know, we get those references. Um, but it's it's funny, you know, like so. I guess after this girl gets hurt, and 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 the bully comes to the kid's house and like calls him out, and you can tell that you know now this kid somehow, I guess, is kind of imbued with these supernatural powers. powers I guess yeah. like they 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 don't they don't touch on this very much like the bully comes over and like confronts Eddie and uh Eddie can like make I don't know like the the fire in the, the jack-o'-lanterns like one of the <laughs> one of the one of the only Halloween references like <laughs> the fire in the jack-o'-lanterns can like flare up when Eddie's upset or whatever but when Eddie finds out that this girl has been hurt. Another scene that I thought was so funny was like, he has this really sincere breakup with the cassette. (laughs) I think we should end it. I don't want to do anymore. No wins. No false metal. No. No, that's it. It's over now. We we can't do this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done. Wait, I'm sorry. Um, but then, uh, like all of the equipment starts to freak out, and there's all these really cool '80s electrical effects, and um, the the dead rocker uh, Sammy Kerr uh, actually appears in his bedroom and. And and it's it's basically you know it, it's like any kind of possessed object kind of movie where like oh you did my bidding for a while but now I'm in control and now you have to do this and and then it you know the the last part of the movie ends up with Eddie kind of trying to stop what he has already set into motion. Yeah, he makes the rocker go away by killing his own stereo. <laughs> <And> right. <laughs> he just bashes it with a with a with a 
bat. And this is where the movie started to get a little muddled for me because, um, yeah. all right, we kind of know what's going on. We kind of know what we're up against. But now it's becoming a little unclear. Like, all right, so like you said earlier, it seemed to be hinting that Eddie was getting some powers. I was getting kind of a 976 evil vibe from it. Like maybe he was, you know, going to be transformed and consumed by him or possessed by him or something. But that never really happens. And this rocker, again, materializes, but then he, he goes away. You know, I thought, okay, we're bringing this guy into the world. Now he's manifested. It's kind of like Freddy Krueger kind of thing. He's going to run around and start taking care of things. But that doesn't really happen so much either. He still seems very much connected to this record or the stereo. And so when Eddie, like, you know, smashes a stereo and stuff like that, it seems like the problem is solved. But he realizes, you know, that as much as he breaks this record, he's got a tape out there still. And so, like, you, he calls up uh, Roger, his friend, who we've neglected to mention, but he's his dorky, his even dorkier friend, uh, and tells Roger that he needs to go and get this tape. And Roger's like, what are you, you know, what is this all about? You know, it's kind of ridiculous. You know, what's the big deal? He's like, just go and get this tape. And I'm like, what, what, why is he sending Roger? What's going on? And so Roger breaks into Tim's car in Tim's driveway in the middle of the day <laughs> with a coat hanger. In, like... Like with like a ski mask. Yeah. Like, he's not. He's he's not literally wearing a ski mask, but it, it's like he dressed up like yeah. what a thug should look like to break into a car. Like if you're gonna break into a car, like do it at night at least. Don't dress up right? <laughs> when those things and, are actually. Effective. And again, it, it's it's yeah, it's trying to go for the humor because he doesn't even have to break in. Like he's no. trying to fidget with the lock with like a coat hanger or something, and then he realizes that the car isn't even locked. Yeah, <laughs> he just gets in there and and takes the tape, and the tape is still there. The tape is Th- this this yeah. horrible tape that Tim knows is bad because it's melted his girlfriend's ears off. It's just casually in the front seat in a Walkman. It's it's silly. I don't know. You know it's silly as it is it it didn't bother me it wasn't so stupid that i was rolling my eyes it was just kind of like i get what they're going for they're going for the comedy here it's not really all that funny but i get it you know like that's it's fine roger gets the tape and roger it's so funny that you said we've neglected to mention him it's because he's totally unimportant like (laughs) as as i was watching it and i was taking my notes there were all of these scenes where eddie was talking to his dorky friend and i just was like we don't need to talk about this because it's totally inconsequential but uh, i looked on imdb and the guy who plays roger gosh i don't even know what his name is this was his only acting credit but then he went on this guy to be like a writer and producer for the X-Files and like he's got an amazing resume this this dorky friend who breaks into uh the car but he gets he gets the tape and and Eddie told him to destroy it but he doesn't and instead he plays it and then the dead rocker appears to him and tells them you've got to play my tape at the Halloween dance or I'll kill you and so Roger, the dork, takes the tape to the Halloween dance and um, eventually plays it, I guess. And well, in, but, Yeah, but go ahead. There's this fantastic special effect. I thought it was really good, and for, especially for the 80s. Like, I, I'm not even sure how they did it. But um, when 
the rocker appears to him and says this to him. I think the screen comes on behind him, the TV, and there's that woman again speaking about the evils of rock, and he reaches his arm in <laughs> to the screen and pulls her out by the neck. And as he pulls her out, she becomes this like charred little body. It looks like a charred baby or something <laughs> that he drops yeah. on the floor. <laughs> And then there's like a scene. There's like another scene where uh, Eddie calls Roger and says, "You destroyed the tape, right?" And Roger's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, sure." So then Eddie moves on to his next thing. And in the meantime, there's another shot of Roger at home vacuuming up <laughs> the charred corpse. <laughs> it was hilarious. It was really funny. hilarious. <laughs> that worked for me. That was hilarious. Uh, <laughs> oh God, yeah, I thought that was so funny. Mm. And then so Leslie calls Eddie from the dance I guess to to see where he is and he's at home because he's grounded or whatever but he hears in the background this music playing so he jumps in his car and then the evil uh, rocker possesses his car it's it, it's really kind of a cool concept I just didn't feel like it was really executed that yeah. well like it, it was the concept that because because the rocker you know is a musician Anything that could transmit music or radio waves, he's able to kind of possess. Yeah. And so he possesses Eddie's car and there's this whole car. Yeah. It's it's not even a chase because nobody's chasing him, but the car is driving around. It's, excuse me. It seems like um, it's, it's intentionally trying to kill Eddie and it goes, you know, through, you know, it goes under things. So the whole top of the car gets, sliced off and um eddie is only able to stop it right before it goes off this drawbridge and i got i don't know like the the whole last act of the movie was so madcap that i mean i i get what they were trying to do but the movie is like an hour and 45 minutes long and at this point there was still like 40 minutes left and i was like what are we going to do for 40 minutes? <laughs> yeah. And it, it, it's, it's just a lot of Eddie who eventually hooks up with Leslie at the dance. Um, it's just a lot of them kind of running around and this, this ghost rocker kind of chasing them around through electronics. And it's yeah. not bad i just feel like it it just went on for a really long time yeah that was the part of which i just uh i got really bored honestly like i mean bored is yeah you know the way you can be bored of a movie where there's a lot of action going on you're just kind of tired of it and you you don't really it's just so much happening and nothing's really moving forward you know they're just running from one right. place to the next and this guy can materialize at all these speakers and at one point you're just like get get out of the room and get away from all these speakers you know right. uh and and it loses its consistency. Like, well, why is he able to materialize through these speakers and not these? I mean, they're not playing the tape anymore. Um, so, you know, it seemed to be connected to the tape and the music at first and the stereo that was playing it. But now it seems like almost any speaker he can come through now. And he materializes and he's able to do stuff. But then they're able to, like, cut the power or something occasionally, which, like, which, like sucks him back in temporarily. So then there's like powers kind of connected to it. It's kind of the the electrical transmission aspect of it, I suppose. It's all real muddled. And it's hard to talk about in sequence because it doesn't the sequence doesn't really matter. Like mm-hmm. there there's a cool scene where at the Halloween dance, they the principal or some teacher or something introduces the band that's supposed to play, but then all of the equipment starts to get like electrified and like uh Sammy Kerr, the dead rocker like 
appears like out of yeah. the speaker or something and like there there's a whole musical like <laughs> he plays <laughs> a whole, a whole song yeah there's a whole number and he plays a whole song and like everybody's totally into it and the guy that plays the rocker his name is Tony Fields uh and I don't know much about I I totally recognized him but I'm not even sure from what it, he, like he was in a chorus line the movie of a chorus line and he was also um one of the zombies uh in Thriller the video um yeah. so this guy's a dancer it, he was and, and you can tell he's a dancer like when he's performing like he's doing all these crazy spins like he seems much more like a dancer that you know the 80s rockers were all about flair and show and, and and that that's great but i mean this guy's like pirouetting and like <laughs> throwing his hair back and <clears throat> so that, and then like so he's performing you know for this uh halloween dance and then he starts vaporizing people with electrical <laughs> bolts from his guitar. <laughs> That's right. And at first they don't seem to care. Like everybody's kind of shocked, but then they all move back up to the front of the stage so the next guy can get zapped. And <laughs> The special effects were actually pretty good. I was not expecting a movie like this to have these kind of special effects. Um, I have to hand it to him. Not that. Lot. No, I've seen so much worse. So much worse in these movies. Right. Yeah. I, the, but the whole, I mean, it was very 80s. You know, the whole oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. electric currency and electric bolts and stuff. Like, <laughs> it, very 80s. You know, Animated. not something that you would probably see today. But um, for the time, certainly not bad. And then it just goes into what literally is like probably a th- 20 30 minute chase scene of this rocker just kind of randomly chasing them throughout town eddie and leslie is that her name Mm -hmm. yeah and and, like he chases them all over town and he vaporizes a cop and then he they end up back at eddie's house and like they get cornered in eddie's bathroom and like (laughs) then there's this whole thing where like Somehow, Sammy Kerr, the rocker's hand, gets in the toilet. <laughs> and, like, it's like agonizing pain for him. Like, I, I guess we were supposed to understand that water hurts mm. him for some reason. Maybe because of electricity. Like, that was the only thing I was thinking yeah. of. He gets his hand in the toilet and he's like, ah, like, like he's freaking out. And then like Leslie like flushes the toilet and he like almost kind of like his hand gets sucked back in and he's still like freaking out. Oh gosh. The, the, I, I, it was at that point where I, I hate to use the term because it's, it's so overused, but like jumping the shark, like seriously, (laughs) like, the toilet. <laughs> the toilet. I, I love the toilet physics in movies, too, where, like, <laughs> like toilets have these, like, this enormous suction power. You know, you get your hand in there, somebody right. flushes it, and you're in danger of losing an arm, you know? <laughs> oh, man. Oh. And and all this time, I'm thinking, okay, so, so Eddie has destroyed the original record. He's destroyed the tapes that they've used. But I remembered from the very beginning that Gene Simmons said 
I'm going to play his record at uh, midnight on Halloween. And finally, Eddie remembers that. Mm. And um, so he tries to call the radio station, but he can't get a hold of the guy. Um, and so they, then they, he and Leslie start running towards the radio station. But we're hearing on the radio station, um, oh, God. And we've missed so many things. Like when Eddie first explains to Leslie what's going on. I want to know the whole story. All right. Okay. Fine. Look. I've heard of raising spirits from the dead by incantations, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) She was like, yeah, I guess. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a thing you do. <laughs> and then when um, they they finally he, he tries to get a hold of the radio and, and he can't, but then we hear the radio broadcast. We have got a treat for you, a world premiere, the only Sammy Kerr album never released. So here we go. In the true spirit of Halloween, the Eve of the Dead, we're gonna play this first cut backwards. What? <laughs> Why would you do that? Like, oh, you've never you've never heard this before. It's a brand new release, but we're going to play the first track backwards. <laughs> it's so stupid. Okay. Plus, I mean, if you really want a nitpick, all right, so that means that somebody else has played this backwards before because he's he's we find out that the DJ's not even in the booth. He's recorded mm-hmm. his whole show for the night and it's playing on his reel to reel. So he had to play it backwards, but does that mean that when he taped it first, before he handed the record to him, he taped the first track backwards? Because if you've got a tape... Yeah, you can't play the tape backwards. It doesn't make sense logically. It doesn't make sense technically. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And then, right, and then chase, chase, chase. They they end up at the radio station, and and Eddie tells Leslie, like you stand out here and I'm going to go do something else. And if I'm not back in a hundred seconds, then run in and destroy the tape or something. And Eddie takes this little, like, I don't know, this eighties cassette player and throws it in the back of the cop car that they've stolen. And, uh, Eddie like is driving the cop car, like trying to taunt this tape recorder. (laughs) (laughs) And, And he's like, Oh, I guess Rock's chosen warrior is nothing but a effing wimp poser. And that finally taunts Sammy, the rockers, <laughs> like it taunts him out. And he comes out and he's in the back. He's in the back of the car. And then Eddie drives the car off of, I guess, the drawbridge that we saw before that he almost went into. But like he drives. It's at least a one or two story drop into this river. Yeah. And I guess because it's water, it kills the evil rocker. But Eddie's okay. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, he he surfaces like, "Oh, thank goodness, he's fine." He just and, kind of yells uh, out. Yeah, and then we see Leslie who has already broken the tape in the radio station and she's just like standing there waiting and Eddie shows up. I guess he walked back from the miles away that he'd driven. And they make out, and the end. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, I was I was ready for that by this point. It was just like 
get me to the final curtain. I know they're going to kiss. Just let them kiss and let's let's be done. You know, I did you play it through all the way? I was I I don't know why, but I just felt like there was going to be a scene at the end of the credits even though it was not at all common at this time for there to be something like that. And sure enough there was. There was a really yeah. brief clip of uh, Ozzy Osbourne. Um Ozzy Osbourne. The, the movie, you know, like I said, it was um it really had me going there for a while. Um really cool concept really relatable character very different i thought and again i really haven't seen anything quite like this where you know we've seen like possessed item things but to to kind of make music itself and the album itself and the, and the the guy behind the music it kind of wraps it all up into one and throws it at this fanboy you know i i was really behind it until it just devolved into insanity at the end and uh, it was pretty weak. I, I was really disappointed. Yeah it, yeah, it got pretty stupid at the end. But if you are nostalgic for the 80s, watch oh, this yeah. movie. I mean, mm. sure. I mean, watch it. I mean, it's it's fun. It's, it's totally a throwback uh, to the 80s. And... It, imperfect in every way but but i didn't not enjoy it you know like it, it was it was yeah. it was what it was it yeah. was what it was it wasn't and, a waste and of time. i appreciate it no not a waste of time if you're our age you know like i feel like this is a movie for us you know yeah. i feel like if if some of our listeners like I, i'm thinking specifically of of jordan uh, who has podcasted with us before, she would probably laugh her ass off at this movie and think it was so stupid. And in many ways it is, but if you grew up in the 80s, it, it, it's definitely a throwback to that time, and, and I appreciated that at least. Oh, you know, and it's kind of remarkable how this little unknown movie, you could play, you know, the seven degrees of Kevin Bacon with it because of the people involved. Yeah. Even the director, you know, the director went on to direct, like, Air Bud. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, some movies like that. A and, Dolphin's Tale. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, well, and, <laughs> Glenn Morgan, you know, who you were talking about who played Roger, um, he wrote Final Destination. Final Destination Three, a ton of X Files oh, yeah. episodes, you know, even Twenty One yeah. Jump Street. I mean, pretty, pretty impressive resume for these folks. You know, it's funny. Of course, it's well, maybe it's, it's telling that the things that they end up doing were not the things they did for this movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and I just totally messed up. I the the guy that you were talking about didn't direct a Dolphin's Tale. That was the director of this movie, Charles Martin Smith, and and he was also an actor. He was in American Graffiti, and he was in The Untouchables. Very recognizable uh, face, and he directed the first episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which is like my favorite television show ever. Wow. So yeah, lots of uh, connections. Uh, if if you're interested in looking into those things, it, it, I understand why it's not more esteemed and i understand why people probably have never heard of it because it's not a great movie it's really not but i it's it's fun for what it is honestly for whatever reason i don't know if any of these heavy metal horror movies were ever very good or can you think of a single one of them that is notorious now that people look back on fondly no <laughs> it blows my mind. You know, you and I watch these movies from the 80s all the time and and we trash them when we review them, but 
I enjoy going back to them. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's uh, it's fun to go back to this type of movie, and and you don't see this type of stuff very much anymore. Um, it's all uh, superheroes and and sequels and prequels, and everything's so gritty and 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 raw, and, and you know, this is yeah. just. You know, it's a fun throwback to uh, a different time when horror took itself a little less seriously, I think. And people were more willing to kind of, you know, try things outside of the box. And and I appreciate that. So I, I appreciate this movie for that reason. It's not a great movie, but it, it was fun. It was fun to watch. I don't know if I'll ever watch it again. Uh, probably not. But uh, I, I enjoyed it just for the nostalgia. Yeah, and it's well-made. It really is a well-made movie. I mean, it's shot well. Like I said, the special yeah. effects for their time are pretty good. The acting's solid. Yeah, yeah, you really can't fault it, you know? It just it's just right. it's just one of those movies. So, yeah, no, for for I completely agree with you. Entertaining except for like the last 20 minutes. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, thank you again for listening to another episode. If you enjoyed this, please share it with a friend. You can find us on iTunes, right next to all of your favorite heavy metal tunes. Uh, <laughs> look for us also on Google Play and Stitcher. And find us on Facebook, where you can like our page, share it with a friend, and also comment on what you thought of this episode, as well as anything you would like us to review in the future. Thank you again, Nick, very much for this, uh, this suggestion. Until next time, I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. With two guys in a chainsaw. Oh,